Dr. Ward Bond Show is sponsored by the Whitfield Media Group. You're listening to the Dr. Ward Bond Show, the fastest growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration radio show in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity. The experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. My guest today is Dr. Ron Unbar, and he is a board certified in both pediatric pulmonology and general pediatrics, offering hypnosis and counseling services at Centerpoint Medicine in La Jolla, California, and Syracuse, New York. Dr. Unbar is a leader in clinical hypnosis, and his 25 years of experience have allowed him to successfully treat over 7,000 children. His experience has offered him the opportunity to direct and co-direct more than 20 clinical workshops on the subject of pediatric hypnosis. He is a published author of more than 50 articles, abstracts, and book chapters on the pediatric functional disorders and pediatric hypnosis. And today, we are going to learn what clinical hypnosis is all about, removing the myths and giving you the facts. Let's welcome our esteemed guest today, Dr. Ron Unbar. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, I am so interested in this subject because I know there's a lot of things that people think about when they hear the word hypnosis, but tell us your journey towards integrating hypnosis into your practice from a pediatric and pulmonology background. So I was practicing as a pediatric pulmonologist. I'm sorry. I'm going to start again because I was, I froze. So I, I should not. No problem. So I'm going to. I'm not going to look, I'm going to ignore what I look like, right? Mm -hmm. You'll let me know if there's a problem. Not a problem. Maybe ask me the question again. Sure. Yeah, we'll do that. Okay, we're going to do an edit point. Three, two. Now tell us your journey towards integrating hypnosis into your practice from a pediatric and pulmonology background. So I did practice as a pediatric pulmonologist for many years when a patient uh, who had a very bad milk allergy was referred to me. And he told me that when he smelled a cheeseburger, he developed an asthma attack. And that's a rather strange complaint. Uh, so I said, why don't you go see your allergist and have him tell you what you should do. And then I said, can you imagine eating a cheeseburger for me? So he closed his eyes and within seconds, he started having a lot of trouble breathing. And I said, oh no, he's gonna have a big asthma attack here. So I said, stop it. And he did. I said, how'd you do that? And I'm thinking, is your imagination so powerful that you can think your way into an asthma attack? And that got me thinking, if you can think your way into an illness, can you think your way out? And later I found out that what was going on was hypnosis. Well, that tells us that there is a absolute connection between the mind and the body. Absolutely. And it not only affects people with asthma, it affects everyone in many ways. Um, I've learned over the years that anybody with chronic symptoms has a psychological overlay to their symptoms. Either their symptoms have caused them to might maybe develop anxiety or depression, and that makes the symptoms worse. Or sometimes a patient's psychological problem can make symptoms appear. In either case, when people learn to regulate their symptoms through hypnosis, as one means, they improve. Well, that kind of tells me that people who are considered hypochondriacs, in a way, their mind is creating most of their problems. 
Well, in hypochondriac, classically, the mind could face the problem, but the problem is real. Some people think a patient who is hypochondriac, they say, my belly hurts, they're making it up. No, their belly truly hurts. It's that the origin is from the mind. Wow. Now tell us a list of conditions that you've actually treated with hypnosis. So within the pulmonary world, I've treated kids who had asthma, who have a habit cough, which is a, a very disruptive cough that can last even for years, but has no physical cause. Uh, patients who develop shortness of breath, who have vocal cord dysfunction, that's when the vocal cords close, we're supposed to breathe in. Uh, that resolves very easily with hypnosis. And as I started using hypnosis clinically, I found that it worked really well, and therefore I broadened my practice to include all kids because I'm a pediatrician as well as a pulmonologist. And I've worked with kids who have headaches, who've had stomach aches, who've had uh, cancer. Now, now, hypnosis doesn't treat cancer, but it does help kids deal with cancer-associated problems. For example, people who get chemotherapy usually develop nausea, and hypnosis can make the nausea much better or people with cancer need to have a lot of medical procedures and blood tests and intravenous lines. Hypnosis can help them manage that better. I should interject here before we go too, fur too much further that hypnosis is not what much of your audience might think it is. There's no magic involved. There's no stage musician. There's no mind control. All hypnosis is self-hypnosis. And when I teach children to use hypnosis, I tell them, I'm teaching you how to use your imagination to help yourself. I should also tell you, hypnosis is not unusual. We all do hypnosis all the time. For example, how many of us have ever listened to a boring podcast, not this one, and started daydreaming? That's hypnosis. How many of you have driven three miles down the road and said, how'd I get here? Part of your mind is driving the car. Part of your mind is thinking about something else. That's hypnosis. Hypnosis is a usual state of mind, but in that state of mind, you're more receptive to suggestions and in the case of clinical hypnosis, the suggestions to help you heal. Now, that is fascinating because this means that hypnosis is not what the magician does when he pulls out a pocket watch and holds it in front of your face and telling you to concentrate and you're going to fall asleep. That's just theater and that's just entertainment, correct? Correct. Although, so, so a magician can't make you fall asleep. Hypnosis can be used to help yourself fall asleep, and I, I've treated people with insomnia with hypnosis. But the magician leaves the impression that he's in control, and that's not the case. What happens in a ma magic show, a uh, magician gives instructions, the, pa the person follows and goes in hypnosis because they brought it into themselves. They just don't realize they did it. Wow. But let me ask you this, because you brought up nausea from chemotherapy. So here we have a very powerful drug that is that is known to cause numerous side effects. And of course, one of those is nausea in a lot of people. So you're telling me that you teach people who can, that they practice hip, uh, this form of hypnosis that can actually lessen the nausea caused by those very strong chemotherapy drugs. Correct. And that's actually been studied. There have been uh, scientific studies published on that very topic. Um, the reason it works is that our brain processes everything we feel in the body. If there's nausea, your brain says, hmm, I feel nausea. You could train your brain to disregard that signal, and then you don't feel nauseous. This works for pain as well. So if you have chronic pain or even acute pain, pain that you've just been injured, if your brain is well-trained, you can learn to ignore that pain in a way that it doesn't bother you. 
there's something called hypnobirthing. Women who give birth can have do hypnosis and report, I feel pressure, but no discomfort. Because all discomfort is felt in the brain. That doesn't mean it's in the brain. It doesn't mean that the pain is just imagined. It's real pain, but you can be in charge of how your brain processes pain. Well, then let me ask you this. So does that mean hypnosis can control the nerve transmission from, I mean, up and down the vagus nerve? So if, if chemotherapy causes nausea, then does that mean the patient is able to control the signal that the stomach gives back to the brain of feeling the nausea? So is that person actually controlling that information on the vagus nerve by hypnosis? I think it controls, well, not in the way you described. So I don't think it changes the signal from the stomach. However, if there's pain in the stomach, uh, it'll change how the brain processes the pain signal. So the, initially the hypnosis effect is in the brain. However, if the, pain, if the patient doesn't process the pain signal as painful, then the brain does not send a message back to the stomach saying, hey, I'm in a lot of distress. So it breaks that part of the cycle. So it actually, the signal from the brain to the body is probably altered by hypnosis, but not from the body to the brain, not initially at least. Okay, so with people who are dealing with pain, to me, this is a very positive type of therapy that could reduce the, um, the medication load that some people take to relieve pain. And of course, you know, we all know about the opioid crisis. I mean, does hypnosis have an inroad into lessening that, uh, that crisis that we have if people would learn to do this to relieve pain? Yes, absolutely. So there's, again, a lot of studies about hypnosis in pain control. Uh, patients who are taught hypnosis, for example, before surgery, require much less pain medication to, after surgery and actually leave the hospital earlier. And of course, if you're not using narcotics after surgery to control pain, you're less, you're less likely to develop an, an opiate addiction in that setting. Well, so uh, yes, a lot of, this is true for many medical conditions besides pain. Well, then tell us about a hypnosis case that was particularly remarkable to you. Well, there was this one girl who developed vocal cord dysfunction. I mentioned that earlier. Again, in, that, in this condition, uh, the vocal cords will close off and prevent you from being, being able to inhale properly. Typically, this affects high-achieving teenage girl athletes. So if you go to a track meet, for example, you, you'll see these kids they'll, they'll, <gasps> as they get towards the finish line. That's vocal cord dysfunction. So this particular girl had a very bad case of it. She'd have to stop running. And so she was in another state. I was practicing in New York at the time. And in that state, um, they treated her first by giving her asthma medicines, which didn't work. Mm -hmm. Then they took out her tonsils, and that didn't work. And then they were going to inject Botox in into her vocal cords to, to paralyze it, to treat it. At that point, her father had looked up the condition and found me online, and I talked to him and I said, well, hypnosis typically treats this really well. You just have to teach the child to relax and the vocal cord dysfunction stops. And we couldn't find anyone in the, in the state where she lived to do hypnosis at the time because not enough of us do hypnosis yet. And he flew her up to New York. I treated her in one session and she was cured. And, and this is a girl who had suffered for months beforehand. Well, then let, let me ask you this. What does a hypnosis session actually look like? 
So typical hypnosis session involves imagining a relaxing place. Uh, the reason we imagine a relaxing place is that when you imagine it, your body relaxes with that, what you imagine. Uh, we'll talk about what you can see and hear, smell, feel, and taste. And by so doing, the patient relaxes. And then I will teach the patient how to trigger that relaxation respond, response with a hand gesture. They might make a fist, they might cross their fingers, they might choose a thumbs up, whatever they choose. And I tell them while they're in hypnosis, whenever you make that sign from now on, you can become this relaxed, even when you're not doing hypnosis. And that's what's called a post-hypnotic suggestion. Then after that, whenever they want to relax, they just make their hand gesture. So in the case of the athlete, when she feels short of breath, she makes the hand gesture and she's fine. Well, then how many sessions does it typically take to see results? Well, it depends on the medical conditions. Some conditions like the vocal cord dysfunction, one session you often is curative. Uh, people with phobias, one or two sessions is often curative. Uh, for medical conditions as a whole, I've been talking about irritable bowel syndrome, asthma, headaches. Uh, the average number of sessions is four or five. If you have psychological issues like anxiety, depression, uh, those average 10 to 12 sessions. But that's just average. Some people work for months and months or even years. Other people uh, just come a couple of times. Well, it sounds like to me that the areas in which hypnosis really works are those in which there's anxiety, stress and fear as a trigger to a condition. Of course, chemotherapy, you know, side effect nausea is a little bit different. That's not really a fear situation. But with asthma, especially in children, don't the children usually kind of fear an asthma attack coming on? And if they think one's coming on, you've taught them how to stop it? Correct. So but just going back to chemotherapy, I disagree with you. I think oh, there is fear involved. When, when you've experienced nausea once, the next time you're going to worry, you're going to get more nausea. Fear is involved, and that's why hypnosis is so effective. And even in a blood test or a shot, a shot, kids sometimes are very fearful. It's much more painful. The fear is much greater of a problem than the shot itself. You mentioned asthma. You're absolutely right. The um, fear of asthma or having another asthma attack is, is really a major component. So let me tell you about this 12-year-old girl I met early in my hypnosis career. Uh, she had very bad asthma. Six times in her life, she was in, admitted to an intensive care unit because she had a bad asthma attack. Uh, she, it was so bad, uh, she was treated with an oral steroid for 10 years. And those of you who know steroids are bad, especially if they're oral. Inhaled steroids at a small dose, that's a fine medication, can be treated. You can be treated with that for months and years without any significant problems most of the time. But oral steroids can cause a lot of side effects. They can cause you to be overweight, as this girl was. They can cause your bones to be brittle. They can cause you to have a hunchback. They can cause skin conditions. And this girl had all of it. But every time her doctors took her off the prednisone, the steroid, she'd end up in intensive care in it. So she came to see me, and I said, well, I just learned this thing about hypnosis. Let me teach you how to relax yourself. And before you use your rescue medication, go ahead and use hypnosis. So she came back the next week. She said, oh, the relaxation with hypnosis worked better than my rescue medicine. I said, good, so keep doing it. And we started weaning her steroids. It took a whole year to get her off the oral steroids. In the middle of the year, she was hospitalized once in intensive care unit when her mother was undergoing a hysterectomy. 
the psychologists in your audience might want to conjecture why that was. I didn't panic. I didn't put her back into steroids. We kept weaning her. At the end of the year, she came off the steroids. And a year later, she stopped all her asthma medicines. And I had to yell at her because she still had some mild to moderate asthma. She needed chronic therapy. But she was much better and never needed prednisone again. And this is an example of a young lady who was made a medical cripple because her doctors did not know how to address her anxiety. And the anxiety was what was driving her shortness of breath much more than her asthma. Wow. And you said the magic word because I was sitting here thinking, I bet she was on prednisone. And you said she was. So people need to realize how dangerous long-term use of oral steroids are and to try to find another therapy, so to speak, uh, to improve their condition. And of course, in this case, hypnosis was that therapy. Does hypnosis, doctor, help those that have seizures? Is there a way for them to use this technique to maybe lessen a seizure or even stop them? Yes, um, there's a little bit of literature on seizures and also pseudo-seizures. I'll talk about the pseudo-seizures in a moment. But um, in my book, I tell, I, I just uh, published a book called Changing Lives, uh, Changing Children's Lives with Hypnosis. And there's a story about a six-year-old boy who had seizures since birth. And he had had a brain bleed when he was born. And he would then have seizures starting on the right side of his brain that would pass to the left side of his brain. And they were happening like, three times a month, even though he was on medications to prevent the seizures. And when they started on the right side of the brain, he would tell his mother something is going on and then he'd have a whole body seizure. So I was seeing him for his asthma, but when I heard about the seizure disorder, I said, hey, could I teach him how to do hypnosis? And my reasoning was this, uh, seizures involve brain waves. And I was thinking if you could think differently, maybe you'd change the brain wave pattern to prevent the seizure. So the mother said, yes, I could teach him. So I taught him hypnosis. Now, in a six-year-old, hypnosis is very different than what I described earlier. This is the six-year-old hypnosis. Who's your favorite character? SpongeBob. Uh, I hate SpongeBob, by the way, but kid liked him. SpongeBob, what's he made out of? He's a sponge. And what makes him a sponge? He has holes in it. Okay. So here's the instruction. Every night before you go to bed, put SpongeBob on your head and tell yourself, if a storm comes at night, let the storm pass through the holes of the sponge and not stay around in your head. And that was it. That was the whole intervention, one minute long. So every night the boy initially started using a, spon a SpongeBob toy that he had, he would put on his head, but then later he um, just imagined it and he would wrap it around his head several times. Sometimes he'd have to rewrap it in imaginary land. And since then he's had no more seizures. It's been eight years. The same kid, just to show you the power of hypnosis, he had fevers that happened all the time because his brain wouldn't regulate his body temperature correctly. So at a subsequent visit, they said to him, does SpongeBob have a friend? He said, yeah. Who is he? Patrick. I said, tell Patrick to turn on the air conditioning. No more fevers. Now, this is what's called an anecdote. People who don't quite accept hypnosis, say, ah, it's just a coincidence. But having done this so many times, it's not a coincidence. It's the power of hypnosis. And I don't even know the limitations of the mind. So I always offer hypnosis as a tool because who knows, maybe you'll get a lot better. And before I forget, we mentioned pseudo-seizures before. Pseudo-seizures are what looks like seizures, but there's no abnormality in the electroencephalogram. There's no brainwave abnormality that can be documented. And pseudo-seizures resolve very quickly with hypnosis. You just, 
you do need to figure out why they're having it. And, that, and that the, the reason is always psychological and deal with the underlying psychological issue and the seizure stop. Well, then, Ed, uh, let me ask you this. Is the effectiveness of hypnosis correlated with any particular factors? Well, the first factor is the patient needs to want to help them, his or him or herself. All hypnosis is self-hypnosis, so if you don't want to do it, it doesn't work much. It doesn't work at all. When I first started doing hypnosis, um, after a couple of years, I looked at, back at all my patients, and I found out 85% of them improved. That's pretty good. But what I noticed was the 15% who didn't improve were ambivalent about hypnosis. And when I first started, I thought it's the, the magic of the words. Just follow my words, you get better. That's not the case. The case is, do you want to get better? So now I won't even do hypnosis with someone who's ambivalent. If they're not sure, I'll say, go think about it. Come back if you, if you want to learn. And now my success rate, 98, 99% of people who use hypnosis will gain benefit. I'm not talking about complete cures, but I'm talking about improvement. Sometimes you get complete cures depending on the nature of the problem. So has hypnosis failed to provide improvements? When and why? And it, does it really have to do with the patient themselves? So sometimes uh, the symptom is quite complex. For example, sometimes the symptoms reflect a problem in the family. Um, a child whose parents are fighting might develop stomach aches. And the stomach aches serve the purpose of the parents focusing on the kid rather than themselves. That's a symptom that's not likely to go away easily. Um, sometimes there's a, what's called secondary gain. The, the symptom helps the child in some way. For example, a child who's bullied in school might have a stomach ache and can't go to school because of the stomach ache. And until you address the bullying, the, the child doesn't get better. In fact, this reminds you of a young man who came to see me with a headache um, one week before he was scheduled to undergo brain surgery. He'd had the headache for a year and they'd done all sorts of tests and couldn't find a reason. And they found in a brain scan a very minor abnormality that probably didn't cause the headache, but because they couldn't find any other cause, he was going to go to brain surgery. Hmm. When I met him, I said, have you had any psychological work? No. I said, whoa, whoa. Let, let, give me a few weeks. Let's see if we can help you out. And so I called the brain surgeon and I said, can you please postpone the surgery? Fortunately, he was kind enough to do so. And then we use hypnosis with a young man. And part of hypnosis is learning how to understand yourself better. One of the things I teach children is how to interact with their subconscious, their inner self. And the subconscious often understands better what's going on than the conscious self. So his subconscious explained the problem was he hated his school. He didn't want to go to school. And we tried to help him, comfort him about school. Ultimately, he changed school. And then the headache went away. No brain surgery necessary. Wow. Um... Yeah, I hated school too, but I didn't have headaches. <laughs> but uh, let me ask you this, Dr. Unbar. Research is showing that only a select few treatments are very helpful in treating children with trauma. Where does clinical hypnosis help children that have gone through trauma? So there's some literature on this as well, but trauma is something that happened in the past that you're still dealing with. So a way hypnosis can help is carefully helping that child um, remember the trauma in a calm way. And you could do that with hypnosis. Studies have shown, for example, if somebody has, is watching a traumatic event 
and they're given propranolol, which is a drug that calms you. Um, when they're given that drug, they don't develop PTSD. They don't develop post-traumatic stress disorder because remaining calm during an event uh, prevents this from occurring in many cases. So when we do hypnosis and rem have, have the child remember the event in a safe way while remaining calm, it seems to cure many of them, maybe in a similar fashion that the propranolol helps. Wow, that, that shows the power of the mind right there because that, that's, a, from what I understand, that is a strong drug, correct? Uh, propranolol, it's, it's, it's not that strong of a drug. It just prevents the heart, the, the body chemicals from causing the heart rate to increase. But it's, I mean, a lot of actors use it. Oh, so it's, oh yeah. So it's a beta blocker. Beta, it is a beta blocker. Yes. Okay. All right. I had to think about the name again. I said, wait a minute, that's a beta blocker. And I, you know, I remember when professional athletes used to use that drug until they outlawed it. So that way they don't choke. <laughs> so, uh, cause it works that well. <laughs> They can and, use hypnosis. Uh, yeah. They can learn hypnosis. Who needs a drug? <laughs> that, that's it. And I know a lot of people. Well, then let me ask you this, because I know that drug was used by people, uh, you know, years back to fight stage fright. But hypnosis can help that. Absolutely. It's a great tool for that. I work with some uh, college-level athletes for that very, you know, their performance anxiety, and they can learn it very quickly to control it. Well, I like that. Well, Many of the examples in your book speak to children being able to problem solve and finding inner resilience, which seems to be a major factor in being able to be cured. Now, patients are empowered to solve their own issues through facilitation. So what happens when you encounter a child that is not able to imagine a different solution or maybe maintains a fixed mindset? And how do you work with a child like this? Well, this is where the counseling work is important. So you need to, if they have a fixed mindset, um, it's solving something for them. So you, you always respect the child. That's the first thing. And when, it, when you have a symptom, you want to think, you know, why is the mind fixed? Maybe they're afraid, for example, that if they change their minds, things will go out of control. So in that kind of setting, the work needs to first help the child gain confidence in him or herself in a way that they feel like they can handle what what can come if there is change. So when it, when a child is not ready to use hypnosis to improve, the therapist's job is to help them figure out how they might improve. Um, sometimes this involves motivational interviewing, asking the child to project to the future. Uh, is this the way you want to be or would you rather be a different way? And then how do you get there? So you, you would have that kind of discussion. So what type of mindsets or fixed mindsets have you come across in children? What are they just... I mean, um, how do you break through that? Of course, you probably just explained that, but what are some of the fixed mindsets that children may have? Well, sometimes I, I can't break through it. I, I have met uh, depressed children who say, there's no way I can get better. And I tell them, well, if, if you open your mind to the possibility of getting better, uh, you give yourself a chance. Nope, no way. I can't. So sometimes I can't break through it. I remember one girl came to see me with total body pain. She said, this isn't going to work for me, but go ahead and teach me hypnosis anyway. And by the way, when, one of the questions I asked when I first meet a, a young person is I said, if you had one wish, what would you wish for? So this girl who had total body pain, her one wish would be for her mother to have more money. Interesting wish. So I taught her hypnosis. She didn't get better. And then we talked 
to her subconscious, try to understand why. And finally, she said, 95% of me wants to get better, but 5% does not. Well, why doesn't that 5% want to get better? Well, the pain is part of my identity. I couldn't budge her. So sometimes, and by the way, in adults, I think this can be more of a problem. So when I meet a child, for example, who has anxiety, they typically like to learn how to control their anxiety and get better. If I met a 50-year-old who's been anxious uh, their whole life and their life has developed because they were anxious, so they took a particular job, they met a particular spouse who dealt with their anxiety. Now they're 50 years old and they come to see me. I don't see adults, but theoretically speaking. Well, they're going to be much less likely to want to get rid of their anxiety. Why? Because if suddenly they were calm, their life would change. Maybe they wouldn't like their job anymore. Maybe they, they wouldn't like their spouse anymore. And so it would be much more threatening in that setting to change. And that's an example, another example of a fixed mindset. You know, it's amazing how many people I talk to that want to live or have lived with the label of maybe being uh, living with the label that they're pressed or chronic pain. The list goes on. And a lot of them, doctor, as you, as you can attest to, they can't think outside that label. They can't even imagine themselves actually being healed. And this is a mindset that needs to be broken. But I see the positives here of using clinical hypnosis to help people to kind of break through that barrier and that it's okay not to be wearing that label anymore. It's great to be healthy and healed and whole. There's a much better life before you. And is it a and, and you, you kind of said some things here too. So there, that means that there's a fear within some patients that if they did get better, they may lose some things like they could, they think they may lose their spouse or, or lose their job once they got better, which is really technically not true. Correct. It's again about fear. One of the techniques that I use in hypnosis, as I mentioned quite a bit, is interact with the subconscious. So I, I might take a patient like that and teach them how to interact with their inner self. And sometimes the subconscious will say, no, that's not, the subconscious, that's not true. They'll be fine. And if I can get that uh, dichotomy, the subconscious saying one thing and the patient saying something else, um, that you, is a, a therapeutic wedge that you can use to help them heal. So then, then I get the subconscious as an ally to help me treat the patient. So sometimes that helps break through some of these fixed mindsets. Wow. Now, do you encounter any stigmas around hypnosis as a treatment off option, not with just patients, but also with other doctors? Well, when doctors first hear about it, if they've not been exposed to it, they're skeptical. I would have been skeptical about it 30 years ago before I learned about it. Um, and I think that, but, but doctors, I would say, have been very open to understanding how it works. When I give talks and they hear about it, they're quite open. And once they send their patients and the patients get better, they, they immediately convert to saying, hey, hypnosis is a good thing. Unfortunately, most doctors in this country are not aware of this yet. Most people are not aware, which is why I'm, I wrote this book and I'm on this book tour and talking about it because the message needs to get the message needs to get out. This is much too valuable a treatment to become to just be given in a small corner of this country. Now, is there a difference in using hypnosis? Let's just say using clinical hypnosis for children 
from a medical point of view, uh, and then using clinical hypnosis, maybe in children, maybe uh, due to a crime? So when you say a crime, if you're talking about um, finding out uh, who the criminal was, for example, so by interviewing a child, memory recovery and hypnosis is very perilous. Um, uh, people will confabulate memories, or will make up memories and not even realize they're made up. If a child, or an adult for that matter, is questioned in a particular way, they may develop a memory that never happened. So there's a, there's a, a specialty called forensic hypnosis, where uh, people undergo hypnosis to recall crime scenes, but this is very done very, very carefully. Um, you cannot ask a leading question. For example, if you say, was there a man at the crime scene? You've just planted the idea there was a man at the crime scene. A better question would be, tell me what you saw. So um, sometimes police have used hypnosis to solve crimes, but in general, any memory recovered in hypnosis is not admissible in court because the courts realize it's not accurate, even if the per person is convinced it was accurate. So in other words, just, let's just keep it in the medical realm because with the work that you're doing, your success rate is absolutely fantastic. And I love to hear these stories of so many people, especially children, getting the help they need and getting the healing that they need. Now, your book is mostly about working with children and young adults, but what experience do you have working with adults and are the treatment and the results the same, or are they different? So I don't have that much experience with adults. I've worked with a handful of adults. Um, but hypnosis works very well with adults. There's a lot of literature on that. Um, it's a little bit different. So I already mentioned the difference between a six-year-old hypnosis and a teenage hypnosis. Um, with adults, they tend to have a lot more baggage. And by that, I mean they may have a lot of preconceived notions about hypnosis that uh, prevents them from adopting it easily. Uh, they also have, as I mentioned earlier, more things to work through in order for hypnosis to work for them. But hypnosis can, very, can work very well for adults, including people in their 80s and 90s. Um, I worked once with a, an 85-year-old lady who had a habit cough. I saw her because she had a pulmonary, pulmonary issue. And hypnosis helped her cough. But as we were working together, we figured out she coughed whenever she had to deal with her husband. They both had retired. Um, the husband liked the lady to take care of her, to take care of him. And the lady was getting older and it was harder for her to take care of him and she wanted his help and he wouldn't help her. And that was the stress that was causing the cough. So I sent him to uh, marriage therapy. For, for <laughs> well, where can all of my viewers and listeners uh, find your book and read more about clinical hypnosis? And I know your book is uh, really based on children, which I think the book would be great for parents as well as grandparents. So where can they find your book? So uh, they can find my book, uh, Changing Children's Lives with Hypnosis, A Journey to the Center, anywhere books are sold on Amazon, and your local bookseller, it's available, it's available now. And um, even though it's about children, if you're an adult, you don't have a child, you can learn from the book. I also wanna mention, the book's about medical hypnosis, since I'm a physician, but beyond um, magic for hypnosis, other uses of hypnosis can, can include becoming a better athlete, becoming a better artist, becoming a better writer. So there are a lot of other applications for hypnosis that don't require a medical therapist, um, but 
uh, people can benefit from learning how to tap into themselves. Well, Dr. Unbar, I, for one, am going to dive a little deeper into your book because I believe that there are ways that we can all improve ourselves. And since we all know that there's a very strong uh, mind and body connection, we need to focus a little bit more on the mind to make the body healthier. Um, and I think... Uh, you know, I think your book is the one that can lead us all in the right direction. So it's called Changing Children's Lives Through Hypnosis. And ladies and gentlemen, all of us adults can benefit from reading Dr. Ron Umbar's book. So again, give us that website, doctor. The website is drunbar.com. All right. So they can find your book at drunbar.com. Yes, sir. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, it's there at the bottom of your screen. Look, we all want to improve our lives. Many of you that I know, you're dealing with chronic pain. Some of you have asthma. You're dealing with allergies. And of course, doctor, uh, if anybody wants to contact you directly for, let's say, a consultation, they just definitely go to drunbar.com? They can. I will tell you, because of medical regulations, I can only practice medicine in New York and in California. But there, oh. are, there are therapists all over the country who can help out. Another good website to have is the, one of the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis. That's ASCH.com, and you can find a therapist local to you. All right, ASCH.com. So you've heard it from the doctor himself. So if you're in California, New York, you can definitely... Uh, set up an appointment with Dr. Unbar. And for those, the rest of us in 48 states, definitely go to ACH.com. And again, changing lives, changing children's lives with hypnosis. That is the book. I encourage you to buy that book, to read it, because I know one thing, like I said, I'm going to dive a little deeper in it myself because we all can find an area in our lives to improve. And I believe this is one way to do it. And here's the greatest thing. You don't need a pocket watch, and you don't, and you don't need to go into a trance. So, uh, Dr. Unbar, thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge on clinical hypnosis with us today. Thank you so much for allowing me to spread the word. Oh, absolutely. And Dr. Unbar, you are welcome back on this show anytime. You are, again, a wealth of knowledge, and it's so great to talk to you. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the Dr. Ward Bond Show, and please stay tuned because we have more right after this. A breakthrough in pain relief. Curamed Acute Pain Relief from Terry Naturally is an easy to swallow soft gel with results you can feel. Featuring new clinically proven technology, this triple action pain formula contains time-tested ingredients that will have you enjoying life again in no time. This groundbreaking formula is small in size, but big in results and it comes with a complete money-back guarantee. A breakthrough in pain relief. Curamed Acute Pain Relief, only from Terry Naturally, the award-winning wellness destination for safe and effective pain relief. Love your results or your money back. Get Curamed Acute Pain Relief at your local health food store or terrynaturallyvitamins.com. Occasional muscle pain due to exercise or overuse. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
Are your sinuses sensitive to everything? Do you suffer with seasonal allergies? Primrose Leafs Breathe Q Plus supports sinus and respiratory health, balance the immune system in hypersensitive individuals, promotes normal mucous membrane function, and clears nasal passages naturally. Primrose Leafs Breathe Q Plus. Call them today, 844-926-0007, or go to primroseleaf.com. Call 844-926-0007. It's time for you to breathe easy. Did you know we are inundated with hormonal disruptors in our environment every day? Ever wonder why women and now men can't seem to get a handle on their hormonal health and live a balanced, sane life? Well, many of the hormonal disruptors cause the human body to increase production of certain hormones, decrease production of others, imitate hormones, turn one hormone into another, interfere with hormone signaling, tell cells to die prematurely and compete with essential nutrients, bind to essential hormones, and accumulate in organs that produce hormones. Wow, all of that. So just think of this. That's complete hormonal imbalance, and it's no wonder doctors and hormonal specialists cannot get a handle on treating patients with imbalances effectively. So let's take a look at the top hormonal disruptors and how to avoid them. Number one, BPA. We all, we've all heard about this one, and this is the chemical found in plastic water bottles. Drinking from BPA-containing bottles, whether they are water bottles or baby bottles, God forbid, they will imitate hormones in your body. BPA has been linked to everything from breast and other types of cancers to reproductive problems, obesity, early puberty, and heart disease. And according to government tests, the consensus is 93% of Americans have BPA in their bodies. So how do you avoid BPA? Well, avoid cans lined with BPA. Avoid plastics with PC stamped on the bottle or stamped with the number 7 on them. Buy a water filter or pour it into a stainless steel or glass container for safer drinking water. Then there's dioxin. Now this one is very bad, ladies and gentlemen. Dioxin disrupts how female and male sex hormones signal throughout the body. Dioxin lasts a very long time in the body, wrecking havoc, and will lower sperm count in males during their reproductive years. Dioxin causes cancer and most likely linked to hormonal cancers of the breast, uterus, ovaries, and the prostate in men. So how do you avoid dioxin? Well, it's very difficult to avoid and is found in meat, fish, eggs, and milk and is very prevalent throughout the American food supply. Maybe going vegan and organic will help to reduce one's contact with this very dangerous chemical. Then there's atrazine. This herbicide turns male frogs into more girly frogs. That means male frogs thinking they can lay eggs. So what do you think it's doing to males in America? Anyone want to tackle that subject? Well, it's actually used on most of the corn crops in America. And then it seeps into the groundwater, affecting the rest of the non-corn eating population. But corn is used in many different foods, so read your labels. Now, atrazine has been linked to breast tumors, delayed puberty, and prostate inflammation in animals. And some research has linked it to prostate cancer in men. 
So how do you avoid atrazine? Well, buy organic food and buy a water filter for your home. Then there's phthalates. This chemical is a cell killer. It induces death of our cells, even through millions of cells die in our bodies every day. But we don't need to help it kill more cells than necessary. So what do these cells actually target? Well, men, it kills your testicles. Phthalates are linked to hormonal changes, lower sperm count, less mobile sperm, birth defects in the male reproductive system, obesity, diabetes, and thyroid irregularities. So men, if you're you're wanting to have children, this is one chemical you want to avoid. So how to avoid phthalates? Well, stop using plastic containers. Don't wrap your food in plastic that contains the number three on the label. If a product is labeled fragrance, this means avoid it. This is a catch-all term to let you know it contains phthalates. Also, lead. Can you believe we are still talking about lead in this day and age? Yep, it still exists. Lead harms our children and even, of course, all adults. Lead causes neurological damage, including permanent brain damage, lowered IQ, hearing loss, miscarriage, premature birth, increased blood pressure, kidney damage, and nervous system problems. But few people realize that one other way that lead can affect your body is by disrupting your hormones. In animals, lead has been found to lower sex hormone levels. Research has also shown that lead can disrupt the hormone signaling that regulates the body's major stress system, what we call the HPA axis. So how to avoid lead? Keep your house clean. Remove old paint and buy a water filter. If you like living in an old house or maybe you want to buy some classic old home, you need to find out if it still has lead paint, lead pipes. Do your research because lead is a killer to every cell in the body. So again, remove the old paint, buy a water filter, eat organically. You know, as you know, healthy food with health, with natural minerals like calcium and magnesium can help remove lead from the body. Also, there's two green foods you got to have. Using cilantro and chlorella are green foods that bind heavy metals like lead and removes them safely from the body. Then there's arsenic. Arsenic is found in your food and drinking water. Just like in the movies, if you get enough of it, it'll kill you. So in smaller amounts, arsenic can cause skin, bladder, lung cancer. Basically, it's just bad news. But what's less well known is that arsenic interferes with normal hormone functioning in the glucocorticoid system that regulates how our bodies process sugars and carbohydrates. Well, disrupting the glucocorticoid system has been linked to weight gain, maybe even weight loss, protein wasting of the muscles, immunosuppression, something we don't need today, also insulin resistance, which can lead to diabetes. Also, osteoarthritis, or or I should say osteoporosis, there's also growth retardation and even high blood pressure. So how to avoid arsenic? Simply buy a water filter and eat organic as much as possible. 
Now, there's also Mercury. Now, this is not the car that Ford discontinued a few years back. It's a dangerous heavy metal, and many of you already know that. But Mercury has a half-life of 40 years. This means we will never get rid of it, but we can reduce our exposure. Pregnant women are the most at high risk for the toxic effects of mercury, since the metal is known to concentrate in the fetal brain and can interfere with brain development. Mercury is also known to bind directly to one particular hormone that regulates women's menstrual cycle and ovulation, interfering with normal singling pathways. Now, mercury can lead to diabetes as it can damage the cells in the pancreas that produce insulin. So how do you avoid mercury? If you want to eat seafood, limit it to organic salmon and organically farm-raised trout. Now, and, make, and like I said, organically farm-raised. That's very important. Wild-caught is just a marketing term. Also, too, our oceans are full of mercury. So for all of you sushi lovers, you might want to pick something else to eat. So stay with me as I will be right back with more after these messages. Do you suffer with varicose veins, spider veins, hemorrhoidal pain, or tired heavy legs? Primrose Leaf's Leg Factors is the perfect formula for those who have vascular weakness, such as varicose veins, spider veins, hemorrhoids, and edema that may result from blood vessels and capillaries becoming weak. Primrose Leaf's Leg Factors contains organic botanicals and bioflavonoids that strengthen veins and capillaries, promote fluid balance, and assist blood flow that can help support overall integrity and function of your veins and arteries. This healthy formula has a significant toning effect on veins that eases the sensation of tired, heavy legs. Primrose Leaf's Leg Factors is a synergistic formulation ideal for men and women needing comprehensive vascular support. 844 844- 926-0007. That's 844-926-0007. Call right now. Welcome everyone. Today I want to continue to share with you some research on herbs for the prevention and treatment of cancer. The information I'm going to share with you comes directly from the United States National Library of Medicine and the National Institutes of Health. So you will find today's information very interesting. Now, research conducted in Malaysia and Pakistan gives us an insight to some very powerful herbs that the United States keeps ignoring. Now, even though they print the findings in American medical journals, they are ignored by doctors because of the stronghold of the chemotherapy industry has on the cancer industry itself. So worldwide, the second foremost reason of, the, of death is breast cancer. So let's talk about some anti-breast cancer nutrients. Now the anti-cancer activity of garlic, and we all love garlic, is due to high amounts of organic sulfides and polysulfides. Now the mechanism behind anti-tumor activity stimulating the lymphocytes and the macrophages is that they kill the cancerous cells and it interferes with tumor cells metabolism. Garlic should be taken daily as it helps with cardiovascular health and the regulation of blood sugar, but more importantly, it strengthens your immune system. Now studies have shown that the number of suppressor T cells is increased by garlic and converts the lymphocytes in that form which is cytotoxic to cancer cells. 
Now, metastasis are prevented by altering the adhesion and the attachment of cancerous cells circulating in the blood vessels. So harmful effects of carcinogens to DNA are prevented by ripened garlic extract. It improves the immune system of the body, increases the removal of carcinogens from the body, and enhances the detoxifying enzymes activity. Now, garlic is just as important as using turmeric, which we know is one of the most potent anti-cancer herbs. Now, curcumin, the active ingredient in turmeric, is present in its rhizome and uh, rootstock. And also, curcumin is known to have anti-cancerous activity due to its phenolic substances. Now, propagation of lung, breast, skin, and stomach cancer is limited by turmeric. Curcumin has been revealed to have inhibitory action in all phases of cancer growth, which are initiation, promotion, and propagation. Now think about nitrosamines. And I'm going to tell you what these are because nitrosamine production is inhibited by turmeric, and that is a good thing. Nitrosamines are created by eating processed luncheon meat, ladies and gentlemen, or grilling on a daily basis. And of course, anytime you grill, you do want to take turmeric after your meal, as well as taking vitamin C because it nullifies the nitrosamines immediately in the stomach. So using turmeric, it results in increased natural antioxidant action in the body. Now the amount of glutathione is increased by curcumin and they act directly on different enzymes. Now, I will explain cancer enzymes in another program because there are enzymes in the body that cancer brings forth and we have to have the enzymes to attack and nullify those cancer enzymes. So we will talk about that in another program. Also too, the herb burdock root. This is just another herb that should be considered in cancer therapy. Burdock root contains some active ingredients that, after the, that actually alter the changes in what we call the uh, oncogenes. Now, burdock has been utilized in the treatment of breast tumors, ovarian, bladder, malignant melanoma, lymphoma, and pancreatic cells. It relieves the pain, lessens the tumor size, and enhances the survival phase. So to withstand the fast propagation and division of cancer cells, a huge amount of nutrients is required during cancer. But cancer cells can live in stressed circumstances, for example, with low oxygen and less amount of carbohydrates because tumor cells have high tolerance to stressed conditions. Now, burdock root or burdock seeds actually contain an active ingredient that we call uh, <clears throat> Arctogenin. Now, arctogenin has shown the ability to remove the tumor cells with low nutrients, and this is a very positive sign. Now, burdock root consists of a flavonoid type and a polyphenol antioxidant, and they may have oppressive effects on tumor development. Also, normal body cells are protected from toxic substances and lessen the cell's mutation by extract of the root. So burdock contains the most important active ingredient that is known called a tannin, which is a phenolic compound. It stimulates the macrophages action. It limits cancer propagation and retains the immunomodulation properties. Now these are just a few herbs 
which are indicated to be used as prevention or an adjunct breast cancer therapy. It is wise to always check with your oncologist as some herbs like garlic, which is known to thin the blood, should be avoided if you're having surgery. Do you suffer with varicose veins, spider veins, hemorrhoidal pain, or tired heavy legs? Primrose Leaf's Leg Factors is the perfect formula for those who have vascular weakness, such as varicose veins, spider veins, hemorrhoids, and edema that may result from blood vessels and capillaries becoming weak. Primrose Leaf's Leg Factors contains organic botanicals and bioflavonoids that strengthen veins and capillaries, promote fluid balance, and assist blood flow that can help support overall integrity and function of your veins and arteries. This healthy formula has a significant toning effect on veins that eases the sensation of tired, heavy legs. Primrose Leaf's Leg Factors is a synergistic formulation ideal for men and women needing comprehensive vascular support. 844 844- 926-0007. That's 844-926-0007. Call right now. That's our show for this week. Be sure to visit drwardbond.com for more of our daily television show, weekly radio show, and podcast. We'll be back next week. The Dr. Ward Bond Show is sponsored by the Whitfield Media Group.